Our scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 2, once again, Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, says that we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then the servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths that we have sung this morning, the wonderful truths that have come into our hearts that, Lord, before you and before you alone, we have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest who died for us, who gave his own life for us, who our names are graven into the scars of his hands and feet, Lord, that even when we are tempted, Lord, upward we look and we see you who made an end of all of our sin. And now you no longer see us in our sin, but you see us through the very righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ, the very righteousness of God placed on our account. And Father, such grace we will never come to the end of, we will never understand fully, but we know that in Christ, we know you. And I pray this morning as we go over these basic truths that uh, your church has always taught that you revealed in your word, and yet we're so amazingly rediscovered in the 1500s and on. Lord, we pray that we would ground ourselves in these truths, that everything we do would be done in the uh, in the understanding of these truths, to know that we are righteous before you only and solely based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is in him we stand and no other. It is in your grace we have life and no other. And Lord, forgive us when we seek out our own self-righteousness we seek out the own righteousness of our culture, the worldly wisdom that we tend to uh, bring into our faith. Lord, help us to rid ourselves of everything except Christ crucified for us. Lord, as we're reminded of these truths this morning, once again, speak to our hearts and give us the grace we need to live for you this week. It is in your name we pray, amen. Man, you may be seated and go ahead and turn in your copy of the Word of God to Galatians chapter 2 this morning. And you know, as I am kind of creeping past middle age, 
I'm noticing that as I'm getting older, I'm getting stronger opinions about things. Is that normal? <laughs> because, uh, I mean, even things that I know nothing about, like, uh, like Roxanne and I were fussing about something the other day and, and, you know, not a fight or anything, just kind of, just kind of fussing like married couples tend to do. And, and somewhere about middle of the conversation, I don't even remember what it was over, but, uh, but she was absolutely right. Somewhere in the middle of the conversation, she was like, why are you even arguing with me? You know nothing about this. And I was like, but, but I sound right, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> I'm noticing that that's happening to me a lot. And I'm also noticing that um, I don't have a lot of pet peeves, but I do have some. And I'm also noticing that the pet peeves I have are getting stronger. I don't know what that's about, but there is one pet peeve that just drives me crazy. And if you ever uh, see me in a restaurant and this happens, I, I really just have to make sure the flesh does not get after me. And that's when somebody messes up your order, but instead of just fixing it, they all gotta tell you whose fault it is. I hate that. I don't care whose fault it is. Just fix my order. And I noticed how bad this was getting when I was coming home. I was driving home from Little Rock and it was really late, and I just got kind of this sweet tooth, you know? I needed kind of a pick-me-up. I was getting a little drowsy, and I just wanted something sweet, you know? And so I pulled over into Bald Knob, and there's a McDonald's over there, and I thought, you know, instead of going to get some kind of candy that's gonna cost like two bucks, I can get three cookies over at McDonald's for a buck, you know? So I thought, that's the better deal, right? And so I go to the drive-thru, and I said, yes, I would like a dollar pack of cookies, three cookies, chocolate chip. Mm. So... Anyway, well, I waited for what was about 10, 15 minutes. They had me pulled to the front. I don't know how that saves anybody any, any time whatsoever, but they, but they had me pulled to the front, and so I did, and I waited and waited and waited, and I finally thought they must have forgot, and so I go into McDonald's. I was like, hey, guys, look, it's, you know, it's like 1030 at night. I'm like, and, and, and I walk in, and there's this whole display of cookies right there, like right in front of me. But they never got them to me. And so I was like, hey, I just came through the drive-thru and I ordered cookies and I just, want, I just want a dollar pack of cookies. I showed her my receipt. She's like, okay. She turns around and leaves in the back. And I, and I promise you guys, for about the next two to three minutes, what seemed like an eternity, they were all arguing over whose fault it was that I did not get my cookies. They're right there in front of me in this transparent box, right? I mean, I could literally reach over and get them, but I'm having to wait five minutes while these guys are arguing back and forth. And I'm finally like, guys, I don't care whose fault it was. Just give me my cookies. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> I also began to realize that I had a problem that night, but... <laughs> We, we, we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to, when something's wrong, instead of just fixing the problem, instead of just admitting that we're wrong, instead of just whatever, we, we always want to kind of point the blame to something else, don't we? I mean, we've all done that. I've done that. As much as it is a pet peeve of mine, I've done that. I sinned against someone one time and they were gracious enough to come and confront me about it. And guys, I blamed everything in the book except myself as to why I did it. I mean, and, and guess what? It annoyed him as much as it annoys me. And I mean, but we all do that, don't we? There is something inside of us 
that wants to have something to do with our own righteousness. There is something inside of us that wants to be holy of our own doing. And when something like that comes up, when we are confronted with our own fallenness, our own limitations, we have a tendency, instead of saying, you know what, you're right, I was wrong, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? Instead of doing that, we have this tendency to try to find any other reason because something else out there had to be the problem. It could not have been me, right? Don't we all do that? Or am I the only sinner in the room this morning? And by the way, let go of your pet peeves. They're not that important. So, but why do we do that? Why do we do that? It's our fallen nature. It's our fallen nature. And that's why biblical Christianity will fly in the face of our culture. Because every single person in society knows that I need to be righteous. I need to be holy. Everybody recognizes that this is a need. But the problem is, because of our fallen nature, everybody also wants our righteousness to come from within. We want it to be of our own doing. And beloved, self-righteousness is such a delusion Uh, Romans chapter two talks about the danger of the delusion of self-righteousness. And so, and that's why it's so important that we are always reforming, semper reformanda, always reforming. And that's why when the, when the reformers rediscovered these truths and spread them all over Europe some 500 years ago, they were met with fierce opposition, Fierce opposition. Many of them, even though, yes, they died, uh, Luther died of natural causes, beloved, it was not for lack of trying. There were many times, in fact, one time, Luther had to be kidnapped by his own supporters in order to save his life. He had to live in hiding for nearly two years because they were trying to kill him so much. John John Wycliffe, they hated him so much that a hundred years after his death, the authorities found his burial. They found his grave and they dug him up, burned his bones and spread his ashes across the sea. They hated him so much. Jan Hus was burned at the stake. William Tyndall burned at the stake. Um, uh, So many others we can name, so many who died for their faith because they dared stand before the authorities and say that you are guilty, you are not righteous. Righteousness comes only through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, on the authority of scripture alone, to the, to the glory of God alone. And it was that, that it was those truths that cost them their lives. And yet it was also those truths that gave them their lives. It was those truths that gave them eternal life. And it is the same truths that give us eternal life today. The same gospel is still the gospel that is saving souls. It is still the gospel. You know, I say they, you know, some people say they discovered the gospel. They didn't discover anything. It's always been there. The early church believed it. There was always widespread opposition to the papacy. Now, some people take that a little too far and claim that there's a direct line of true churches that are all connected to each other. That's not true. 
But there has always been, it is true, that there has always been widespread, significant opposition to the papacy. And yet when Luther nailed those 95 theses to the door at the church of Wittenberg, he let loose a fire fueled by a little invention called the cotton, the cotton gin, not the cotton gin, the printing press. <laughs> he, uh, fueled by the printing press that spread all over Europe and started a fire of God's glory that nobody could stop, not even the Pope. And so, beloved, it's those same truths that we hold to this morning. It's those same truths that we hold dear. And so we started talking about it last week. It was supposed to only be one sermon. Uh, however, I got so excited about things, we had to make it into two. So uh, this is the second part. If you were not here last week, you can go back and listen to the first part. But just by quick review, we've been, we've been talking about these truths that if you want to always be reforming, if you want to grow in Christ, if you want to be building yourself up in the faith, that we must, it must be centered, it must be founded upon these five marks of biblical Christianity these five marks that are all over scripture but are nicely summarized here for us in Galatians chapter two. We saw that Paul had confronted Peter over the situation that happened at the Antiochian churches and such, the, the Gentile churches, I mean. And, uh, and Paul had confronted Peter publicly because he was going back to some of his Jewish roots. And, and then as he describes this, this confrontation beginning in verse 15, he starts to give the, the doctrinal foundation, the theological foundation of his argument against Peter and to show why he was right. And in this foundation, Foundation, we find all five of these truths summarized and expanded upon. He, the theological basis of his argument that we see all over through the scriptures, our faiths and our lives must be continually shaped by these five basic biblical marks. And last week we saw the first one is that it must be by faith alone. It must be by faith alone. We saw that in verse 15 and 16. I, I will not go back over all the points, but faith alone must be the, the foundation of our faith, that we are saved only by faith alone, only by, by faith alone. In spite of any righteousness we think we may have, uh, Paul says we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you come from, rich or poor, black and white, uh, whatever it is. If you are not saved by faith alone, you are not saved at all. That's the bottom line. We are saved by faith and not by works, lest anyone should boast. The second mark is that it must be on the authority of Scripture alone. In our Sunday school class, we're actually going over the doctrine of Scripture right now, that the Scripture is not only authoritative, it is not only clear that you don't need me to interpret it for you. I can certainly help you. I have access to tools. I can read the languages and stuff that many of you cannot read, so I can certainly help you in that. But beloved, with diligent study and the Holy Spirit, you can come to correct understandings of the Scripture, and you do not need the authority of the Pope or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Book of Mormon or anything else to interpret it for you. In fact, I will even say this you should always be going back and checking me because there are things that I'm wrong about, right? And you have the authority 
to, to be able to do that, not based on your authority, but based on scripture. I have no authority over you other than the truths of this book that I preach. Uh, we talk about creeds and confessions and stuff like that. Beloved, are they helpful? Yes, they are. But only to the extent that they are consistent with the teachings of scripture. Scripture is our authority. Those things are helpful. All the reformers accepted the Nicene Apostles and Chalcedon Creed. We hold to the Baptist faith and message here, and I give a copy of it to every new member who comes. I want you to read it. I want you to be familiar with it. That is, as a member of this church, that is your confession. But it's not the final authority. The final authority is the word of God, Scripture alone. Those other things help but they are not the final authority. And then last week, we talked about how not just any faith will do. You know, uh, George Michael sings, you gotta have faith, the faith, the faith, you gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. And people talk about all the time, oh, you just need to have faith. Beloved, you don't just need to have faith, you need to have faith in the right person that it must be faith alone in Christ alone. You can have faith in something and be sincerely wrong. And that happens all the time. And so we need to have faith in Christ alone. It is not Christ and the sacraments. It is not Christ and the ordinances. It is not Christ and baptism. It is not Christ and tongues. It is not Christ and my own work. I don't get saved as kind of a down payment by faith. And then I've got to keep myself faith by, saved by my own works. That is not what happens here. That salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. By the way, you're not saved by faith in the church. You should be in the right church. You should be in the church that teaches the truth. Amen? You should be. I agree with Charles Spurgeon that, that Baptists are the only thorough reformers. I believe we are the only thorough Protestants. We took the truths of the Reformation and we brought it to where I, I believe that we are the closest to the scriptures. Now, are there are things that I think we could do better. Of course, there are. There always are. But beloved, I would not be a Baptist if that were not the case. And yes, I love the 1689 London Baptist Confession. I love the New Hampshire, which is kind of the grandfather of the Baptist faith and message. I love the New Hampshire Baptist Confession, which is kind of the father of the Baptist faith and message. The reason why I love them so much is because I believe that they come closest to the scriptures than any other confession of faith out there. We are Baptists because we believe we have the truth. And so, but beloved, our, our faith is not in the name Baptist because I got news for you. There's a lot of Baptists out there teaching stuff that I don't want anything to do with. There's a lot of Baptists out there that are teaching stuff that is heresy. My faith, I, I am proud to be a Baptist, but that's not what my faith is in. It's not Christ and America. I'm proud to be an American, but my faith is not in being an American. Next week, this 11th is Veterans Day. And next week on Sunday, we will recognize those who are veterans. I am so thankful to each and every one of you who, died, who fought for our freedom and served our country in that way. And you've done a great thing and we are so thankful for each and every one of you. And so we will honor you next week because of that. 
But beloved, my, my faith is not in our country. My faith for eternity is in Christ alone. You can have the most sincere faith in the world and yet that faith be in the wrong object. It's not the greatness of our faith that saves us. It is the greatness of our Savior that we place our faith in. Amen? So that's the first three. So, so faith alone on the authority of Scripture alone in Christ alone. But as we move on, we move on to the fourth mark this morning. And it is the basis of it all, which is found in verse 21. He says it specifically. He says here, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were, th were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The fourth mark that, we, that must be shaping our lives and shaping our faith is that it must be by grace alone. And really, if you're going in a kind of a logical order, this is really the one that goes first. That everything that we do, everything that we have is because it is a gift of God's sovereign grace. It is a gift of his mercy. It is a gift of his kindness. There, there's really not a one English word that covers all of the profundity, all of the profound truths that are wrapped up in this term of grace. That all of his kindness, all of his mercy, all of his forgiveness, all of his free offer, everything that he does, he does by grace alone. It is not anything that we deserve. It's not anything that he saw in us. It's not based upon anything that he saw us do. It is by grace alone. John says in 1 John, he says, we love God not because, God loves us not because we love him, but he loved us first. His, his love for us initiated everything his love for us is the basis that, that is part of that grace. It, it initiates everything that he's done for us. He did it not based upon anything he saw in us, but only because of his wonderful loving kindness and mercy. Someone asked me one time, we were having a little conversation and I was talking with someone and he says, well, well, Randy, what in the world do you think was so special about you that made God wanna save you? And by the way, this is a Baptist preacher I was talking to. And I said, nothing. That's the point. Nothing. He saw nothing in me. He saw nothing in my future. He saw nothing in my past that shocked God into saving me. Oh, Randy, boy, he's a good one. I, I, I want him up in heaven with me. He, he needs to just come on up here with me. It did not go like that. I was a wretched sinner. I am still a wretched sinner who can only do good by the grace of God. And the only reason why I am saved is because it is God's grace. What is grace? It is God's favor that is given to us. It is unmerited. Some people say that he forgives us unconditionally. I actually don't like that. Actually, he loves us contra-conditionally. He has every reason not to love us. He has every reason not to forgive us. He has every reason not to accept us. And yet, contra all those conditions, 
he does. It's not unconditional. It's contra-conditional. It's in spite of me, not because of me. Some people say it's God's riches at Christ's expense. I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. And so, so let's get to what Paul's saying here. He says, look, by saying that salvation is by faith alone, I want you to understand something. We are not, look at verse, uh, look at verse um, um, 21. We're not nullifying God's grace. We're not nullifying anything by saying that salvation is by faith alone. Faith is not a work that we perform to make us saved. You know, some people get very close to teaching faith that way. We want to make sure we don't. We're not saved by the greatness of our faith. We're saved by the greatness of our Savior. And say, and look what he says. I do not, I do not nullify the grace of God. Any teaching other than the gospel will nullify God's grace in our hearts. Why? Because look at this reasoning. If righteousness comes by the law, any law, then Christ died for no purpose. Beloved, if it, could, if it were up to you to keep yourself saved, then it was up to you to save yourself to begin with. And if it was up to you to save yourself to begin with, then why in the world did Christ die? He is not just a good example, even though he is. It's not just a, a moral excellence to show us, even though he did. But beloved, if you are saved by anything other than the grace of God, then Christ died for no reason. Christ died for no reason. Think about that for a moment. When Christ was in the garden begging God that if if it is possible, that if there is any way possible, please let this cup pass from me. Beloved, he wasn't just praying that for himself. He was praying that for us to show us there was no other possible way. There was nothing else. And when, and when God the Son, and I've mentioned this before, when God the Son, for the first time in the history of God, that is in the history of all eternity, looked up to God the heaven and pleaded with God, the answer he heard was no. Why? For you. For me. For all of us. For his church. For every one of us. We're not nullifying the grace of God. That means that there is no law, no tradition, no custom, nothing that can save us apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. Any law added to that nullifies grace. It is one or the other. It cannot be both. In fact, that's what Paul says in Romans 11. So too there is, in verse five, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Look what he goes on to say. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Any work you add to grace nullifies it. It cannot be both and. You cannot ride the fence on this. It's one or the other. And when we were preaching through the book of Galatians earlier this year, one of the things I said is that if you, if you pay the entry to the buffet, 
then you gotta eat everything in the buffet. You gotta eat everything that's there. If you buy the T-shirt, then you gotta be on the team. If you buy the, t- if you buy the works T-shirt, then you are responsible and you must be on that team. Don't put on that jersey. Don't put on the Green County Tech jersey. Put on the right jersey. Put on the faith jersey. This is how we are saved. Anything else is short of his glory. Anything else is short of grace. There's no riding the fence on this. It can no longer be of the law. You say, well, you know, Paul's saying this, but he's talking about the, the five first books of the Old Testament. He's talking about Moses' law. And, and really, you know, yeah, we know we can't be saved by that law, but let me ask you a question. What law are you gonna come up with that's better than the law that God came up with? If the law that God gave us is not sufficient to save us, then what in the world are you going to do that's better than what God did? You think you can come up with a better law than God did? You can't. You can't, so stop trying. Stop trying. And be saved by grace and grace alone. No riding the fence. So if we're gonna be building our lives in Christ, it must be marked by grace alone. And beloved, that is a wonderful, wonderful gift. My righteousness is in Christ. I have nothing to prove to you. You have nothing to prove to me. We are saved by Christ alone. My identity is in Christ. My righteousness is in Christ, which means I don't have to fight you to prove myself right. I don't have to argue over my cookies at McDonald's. It doesn't matter if I was right in that situation or not. My righteousness, my eternal righteousness comes from Christ alone. You know, I've done this before. I need to move on, but I've done this before. How many gossiped about me this week? Anybody wanna be honest? Roxanne raises her hand. I did. <laughs> That's okay. I don't care. You know why? Because you already know the worst about me. I am so bad that it took the slaughter of God's innocent, eternal, eternally beautiful son to save me. And anything you could ever say about me is child's play compared to that. So say what you want. Say what you want. It's okay. You don't bother me. They don't bother me. The outside world doesn't bother me. I don't need to be recognized by worldly authorities. I don't need to have their approval. My righteousness is in Christ. And beloved, so is yours. You don't need the approval of anyone. You need only the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that encouraging? You don't have to fight to prove how righteous you are. You know how righteous you are because not based on your own, but based on Christ. So grace alone. And then finally, the fifth mark to God's glory 
alone. Remember what we always say here? The one who gives the grace, what? Gets the glory. The one who gives the grace gets the glory. It is all about God's glory. Look at verse 19. He says, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. My life does not belong to me anymore. My life is not about me anymore. He died to the law. As a Jew, that was his entire purpose, was to live a life for the law. But now, because of Christ, that new hope is found. That new purpose is found. It was to live to God and no other. That's the entire purpose of salvation. It is to the glory of God alone. You were not saved because you are such a great person. I was not saved because I was such a great person. I was not saved in order that God may make much of me. I was saved in order that by his grace, I may make much of Jesus Christ. It is all to his glory alone. And that is the entire purpose of our salvation. It's everything that he has done for us. Uh, I don't think I have this one on the board, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 28 through 30. It says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing those things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He did all of this so that no one, he chose the foolishness of preaching. He chose the foolishness of the church. He chose the foolishness of the gospel. That is, that is foolishness to the Gentile world. That is a stumbling block to the Jews. But for those of us who are in Christ, both the power of God and both the wisdom of God. Why? So that he might set the wisdom of the world to nothing so that he might set the powers of the world to nothing so that it is only his power and his wisdom that are magnified all to the glory of himself you and I are like two-way mirrors where we walk around you ever seen a two-way mirror to where you look on on one side you look at it and you see your reflection you go on the other side and you can see through it and you can see who's looking on you know what I'm talking about I've always wanted to be on one side of one so I can like make faces at people who are on the other side and they can't see me. But you and I are like those two-way mirrors. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees that glory of his own reflection reflecting back to him, himself, and it glorifies God. And when we walk down, the, when we walk down through the culture, through the streets, and other people are on the other side looking at us, they see through us and they see the glory of God. You and I are two-way mirrors to where God sees his reflection in Christ. It glorifies him. People see Christ in us and it glorifies him. It is all to the glory of God. It's all to him. And this is the point of our salvation. It's the point of it all. Beloved, I don't know the mystery of God's, we talked about this a little bit this morning. I don't know the mystery of God's sovereignty versus our responsibility. I don't understand that mystery, but I do know this, that when it's all said and done, when we are in heaven and walking around the streets and looking in the face of Jesus, 
we will not be able to see. I sure am glad I made the right choice. Boy, look what, look what I decided on. Man, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm so glad that I made the right decision. That's why I'm here today. Man, I made a good choice. No, you're not gonna say that in heaven. And people in hell are not gonna say, well, you know what? If I'd been given the choice, then I would have accepted. I know that I would have been okay. If I had been given the same fair chance as anyone else, I would have made the right choice. You're not gonna be able to say that. When it is all over, not one single flesh will be able to boast. It will all be to the glory of God. Both heaven and hell exist for the glory of God. And it is all about him. Beloved, the point of salvation is to minimize whatever glory we think we have and maximize God's glory in and through Christ. That's what it's all about. That's why we sing so many songs about Christ. In Christ alone, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest who stands there in my place. That's why we sing so many of these great hymns about Christ, because it's all about him. In Romans chapter one, verse five, in fact, in Romans one, chapter one, verses one through six, we see all these truths again. But in Romans one, five, it says, for through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. In fact, if you trace that, that phrase, for the sake of God's name, and if you trace that, it is all over the scriptures. Beloved, it is all about him. It's all about his glory. The point of our salvation is to glorify Christ. He saved us in order that he gets the glory. It's all through his grace. The one who gives the grace gets the glory. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus looks at a lame man and says, get up and walk. That's why Jesus looks at a blind man and says, open your eyes and see. That's why Jesus says to a deaf man, open your ears and hear. You ever notice that Jesus has a tendency to tell people to do the exact things that they cannot do? And yet, that'd be cruel if it were anyone else. But the very fact that God calls them, the very fact that Jesus calls them to do it, they do it. Why? Because he who gives the grace gets the glory. The blind man didn't get the glory for seeing again. No, Jesus did. The deaf man didn't get the glory for hearing again. No, Jesus did. The lame man did not get the glory for walking again. No, Jesus did. Lazarus, who was living again, did not get the glory from rising from the dead. No, Jesus did. And beloved, you do not get the glory for being risen from your spiritual death to spiritual life. You do not get the glory. No, Jesus does. It's all his glory. I love the uh, Westminster Shorter Shorter Catechism. The very first question, what is the chief purpose or the end purpose of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
I think, it's, I think that's great. I think that's the best response. But it comes out directly out of Ecclesiastes 12, 13, where the preacher says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. And what is it? Fear God and keep his commandments. Why? For this is the whole duty of man. This is what we're about. This is what we were created for. And therefore, on the authority of Scripture alone, we must come by faith alone, through grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in order that God alone receives the glory in our lives. So my question to you this morning is, who's getting the glory from your life? Who are you living for? Are you living to self? Are you living to self-gratification? Trying to get your own accomplishments known? Trying to lift up yourself before God? We asked you last week, are you saved in order that Jesus can make much of you? Or are you saved in order that God, through the grace of Jesus, you can make much of Jesus Christ? That's the question. Beloved, if you were to die today and if you were to go to heaven and see the streets of gold, to see the crystal sea, to see the the mansion of God and the great room that he has prepared for you, to see all of those wonderful things, to have everything that is promised in the greatness of heaven, but there's only one caveat, there's no Jesus there. Could you be happy? Would you be okay with that? If so, then maybe there's a problem with your view of heaven. Maybe there's a problem with your understanding of why we're saved. Love, it's not about golden streets. It's not about mansions. It's not about crystal sea. It's about being with Jesus. And take away everything else and give me Jesus. And it is enough. So beloved, what are you living for this morning? What is your life all about? Who have you sought to please this week? Who are you afraid of offending? Who are you living for? What are you willing to die for? What do you get angry about? What do you get angry about if you don't get What are you all about? Is it about Christ? Or do you have an idol in your life that you need to get rid of? I invite you this morning as we stand, I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here this morning and perhaps you don't know Christ as your savior, you've been depending on your own righteousness for so long, I go to church, I do this, I do that, I give, I, I've been baptized, I walk to now, I pray to prayer, whatever it is. If it begins with the sentence, I, then maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's a problem. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in anything other than the grace of God revealed in Christ alone, and you're responding in anything other than faith alone, If you're here this morning and that's you, I want to talk to you. I want to show you from the scriptures how you can know Christ. And I don't care how long you've attended here. It's not embarrassing. 
it's nothing to be ashamed of because I don't want you to even enjoy your meal this afternoon until you get this right. And if you're here this morning, maybe you are saved, but you're just, you're not growing in your faith. You're living for the wrong things. We can show you from the scriptures how to fix that. We can show you how to put Christ back into the driver's seat, to put Christ back in the center of everything. Whatever is the center of everything in your life will inevitably be the object of everything. So what are you worshiping? Let's reflect on these this morning. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for these wonderful things that you have given us through flawed men throughout history. And yet, Lord, the perfect word of God has come down to us according to your perfect plan right now to this moment. Maybe there's someone here who they have a need this morning. Perhaps it is a need to be saved. Perhaps it is a need to repent of sin. Perhaps it is a need to um, have greater faith in you. Perhaps it's a need to uh, step out and be a part of a church that preaches Christ. Lord, whatever it is, I pray that you would take care of needs this morning and you would do your work in us. I want to ask our musicians to play and I'm just going to ask you to reflect just a little while longer on, uh, on the things we've spoken of. And if you have a need this morning, we, we do invite you to come down at this time.